Good to see all of you this morning. Appreciate the invitation by your leaders here at uh, Pearland at Westside to, uh, for the invitation to come preach for you today as well. Uh, we love you guys, appreciate you, and appreciate the work you're doing, and certainly want to uh, spend some time in God's Word this morning as well. Uh, about a year ago, I was requested to preach a sermon that was a part of a series called Love Thy Neighbor. And my part of that series was love thy neighbor with whom, that, uh, with whom you disagree. And the whole series, if you want to hear it, is on the Wheeler Area Church of Christ podcast. Uh, there's a lot of different guys did an excellent job. It was an all-day-long event type thing that that congregation did at that point in time. But I want to share with you some thoughts as we look at this subject. Loving someone who you disagree with, that's kind of a challenging thing for us. A lot of times it's easy for us to love those with whom we agree. It's a challenging thing to love those that we disagree with. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 34. Let's begin there. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So first of all, I want you to notice there are two things that specifically mentioned in these passages of Scripture. My wife gets on me at times about a word that I overuse in sermons, but I'm going to use it this morning because it, it applies in this sermon. And it's an overarching principle in Christianity. And if ever there's an overarching principle, it's this principle. There are two commandments that are written in the law. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on those two hang all the law and the prophets. First John chapter 4. I want you to get some of the other things that are mentioned in Scripture related to this overarching principle. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 20. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment uh, have we from him that he who loves his, uh, loveth God loves his brother also. Now notice the very first part of that in verse number 20. If a man says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And then the last part of that says, he who loves God loves his brother. And here's very simply what I want to say to you. And it's this, if you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. And it, it's an overarching principle in Scripture, but it's a very fundamental passage and concept in Scripture. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. Now, we could talk about who's your neighbor. That's mentioned in Scripture as well. Uh, but the reality is we're all neighbors to each other. And our neighbors that we think of as neighbors that live next door to us, they're our neighbors. Other brothers and sisters of Christ, our denominational friends are our neighbors. If we can't love our neighbor, we don't love God. And I just want you to remember that because you'll hear it again in this sermon uh, this morning. So what I want to do is I want to look at some different areas in Scripture where this may be applicable. You know, sometimes we have disagreements with people because we have differences in judgment. We're not talking about scripture. We're talking about judgment. We just disagree with somebody because they've made a different decision than us wouldn't have been our judgment to have made. So what do we do in that situation? And I'll give you a 
an illustration of that. Acts chapter 12, verse number 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they took them with them John, whose surname was Mark. Y'all may remember this, first missionary journey. And they take a young man with them named John Mark. We call him John Mark, okay? His name was John, whose surname was Mark, okay? Acts chapter 13, and when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, in the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, we don't see a whole lot about the reason why John Mark went home, but they're in the middle of the first missionary journey, and John Mark goes to the house. Now, I'm going to tell you, we see later in Scripture why he went to the house, but basically, he's a whiny baby, okay? That's the reality is. He just, he didn't want to go to the work. Now, I want you to look at that in Acts chapter 18, verse number 37. Barnabas determined to take with him John. This is the second missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to take his nephew with him. And he says, I want to take John with us, whose surname was Mark. Verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed one asunder from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and parted. Being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God, he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So here you've got this situation, the first missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas and Paul are headed out on a first missionary journey and they want to take this young man, John Mark. They get in the middle of the, the meeting, the middle of the missionary journey, and John Mark wants to go home to Mama. And that's a problem for Paul. So they want to take a second missionary journey and Barnabas is saying, well, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's going, absolutely not. The guy's a whiny baby. That's the last person we need on our trip. Now, I can try to relate this to things that happen in, in our world. When I think about evangelistic efforts and things that we are involved in, sometimes you'll take a young man with you, you'll take somebody with you. And, and I basically had one rule and it was one rule is don't embarrass the preacher. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter what it, what it is. It's don't embarrass the preacher. That's the overarching principle. It's the rule for working with Ty on a particular meeting or that kind of thing. Don't embarrass the preacher. Well, I don't know if that was the case here, but he wanted to go back home. I went to Nigeria one time, very first trip to Nigeria in 1997. Justin and Bud Jones, Craig Keel uh, were involved in that trip. And I'm telling you, we were staying at Simeon's house and it was blazing hot. I mean, blazing hot. The mosquitoes were eating us up. There were no screens on the windows. There was no fan. There was nothing. It was blazing hot. Justin and I are looking at each other going, just 13 more days. 13 more days we go home. You know what Simeon looked at me and he said? John Mark, there's always a John Mark. John Mark's always on the trip. I wasn't saying go home in the middle of the trip, but I was looking forward to the 13 days being done with because we were just eating up and, and it was just miserable. You couldn't sleep at night and all that sort of stuff. It was miserable. I don't know what John Mark's issue was. Maybe he's eating up with mosquitoes. Maybe he was in the, the heat, whatever. But at the end of the day, he's a whiny baby. He wanted to go home in the middle of the trip. He went home. He departed and headed back home. Now, when in the second missionary journey, Paul's recounting that event and says, we're not taking him with us. 
And here's the reason why he said, he went not with us to the work. Have you ever been around people who when it's time to go to work, wouldn't go? You know, they're all good for the show, but when it's actually time to do the work, they're not apart any longer. That was John Mark. Went not with them to the work. And that contention was so sharp between them that Paul and Barnabas separated one for another, from another. Now, they had a difference in judgment. Did somebody sin in this case and all that? No, there's no real record of that necessarily unless laziness is a part of that. I don't know. But the reality is they had a difference in judgment. Paul and Barnabas had a difference with each other in matters of judgment. What did they do about it? They went and had a difference in judgment and went and worked different directions. Now, I want to walk with you through later part of that story. Paul gets near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 11, says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You know what Paul did not do was sever ties forever from John Mark. He had a disagreement over John Mark. He had a disagreement with what John Mark was doing, had a disagreement with Barnabas over it, separated and traveled differently. But at the end of his life, who's he calling for? Somebody that's profitable to the ministry. So you're talking about somebody that, that he didn't sever all connection to and all ties to because he had a disagreement over something. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. That's how we know that, that John Mark was a nephew to Barnabas. Touching whom you receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. So Paul is putting a sanction on this John Mark. Years later, he didn't sever all ties with him. And here's the short version of the story. At the end of the day, you have a disagreement with somebody. You have a difference in judgment with somebody. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. He may have had a disagreement with John Mark, but he still loved John Mark. Cared about John Mark. Wanted to still try to have a relationship with John Mark just because he didn't think he needed to go with him on a trip. Different issue. But he loved him. If you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. What if you're offended? You know, sometimes people seem to get offended. We put a chip out here on our shoulders. Sometimes people seem to always want to get offended at times. What if you get offended? You shut off everything. You cut off everybody. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I can't, you know, I don't talk to those people. What if you're offended? The Bible teaches us what to do in Matthew chapter 18. You're familiar with this, but if, uh, if your brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between he and thee alone. If he hear thee, thou gain thy brother. If he'll not hear thee, then take one or two more. Then the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. So the first problem is if somebody trespasses against you, talk to the person alone and see if he can't resolve it. If that doesn't work, what do you do? You take two or three more. If that doesn't work, what do you do? Tell it to the church. Bring it before the church. If that doesn't work, you let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And you say, well, we separate. But what's the intention behind all of this? What's the intention behind that? It's reconciliation. The, the intention is not separation. The intention is not let's, do, let's not have anything to do with one another. The intention is reconciliation. 
And I just want you to notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's an example of this that took place. Uh, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not su rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? And I think about this and I look at this passage. Listen, there's a brother that's got a problem with a brother and instead of going Matthew 18 and talking to the brother and solving it between him and the or taking one or two more, if that doesn't work, you bring it to the church. If that doesn't work, let him be under the is he heathen Republican. Instead, you know what the first thing there's really ought to be another step in Matthew 18 because there is another step. What about just suffering the wrong? What about just taking what happened and let it go rather than get offended over it or have a trespass over it? Now, this is a true story. Some of you that are in this room probably know this story. But years ago, there was a church that had a split in the church over $50. $50. Somebody owed money, $50 to somebody else. Supposedly one side believed they owed it, the other side didn't believe they owed it and created a church split that created ripples through churches for a long period of time, over $50. Now I got to tell you, as a young man, I didn't live through that, but I can tell you as a young man, I'm kind of going, now understand, 50 bucks might have been worth more than 50 bucks today, but I'm still thinking, why not pay the 50 bucks? Really? This is worth a church split? How much do we value the church if we're willing to split it for 50 bucks? It's worth it? How about suffering the wrong? The guy owed me 50 bucks. Life happened. What's a church worth to you? 50 bucks? Go, well, I can't let wrong go un undealt with or whatever. 50 bucks? Why not suffer the wrong? Why not take the wrong? Why don't you suffer yourself to be defrauded? $50? Maybe we all have our price. Maybe Ty has his price. But I want to tell you the kingdom of God to be is worth a whole lot more than $50. And here at the end of the story, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. If I've got to win a $50 argument, even if I'm right, and, you know, Lisa and I will argue with each other from time to time. It's a top secret thing. Y'all don't tell anybody. But we've had disagreements over the past. You know, sometimes happy wife is worth not winning an argument. You know what I'm saying? I know you know the rest of this story. She wasn't right. I was right. In the argument, I was correct in the argument, but I'm willing to suffer the wrong, right? I'm willing to be the more mature one, right? In the discussion. Y'all know I'm joking. But I'm telling you, we have disagreements with one another from time to time. And, you know, I value my marriage a whole lot more than I value winning a single argument over something. How, what does the church mean to you if you don't love your neighbor? You don't love God. What about scriptural interpretation? And I mean this from a standpoint that you can be the best Bible student in the world, but you disagree with somebody over what the scriptures teach. What do you do? Well, I can show you an example in Galatians chapter 2 with Paul and Peter. And I just want to put it in context. Peter 
In Acts chapter 10, at the household of Cornelius, maybe not at the household of Cornelius, but related to the household of Cornelius, saw a sheet let down with four corners, and that sheet was laid out, and it had all manners of meats that were forbidden to be eaten. And Peter said, I can't eat that. And the voice said, what I've cleansed, you don't call common and unclean. Peter knew what the Bible said about the old covenant being done away with, the new covenant coming into effect. If anybody understood it, Peter should have understood it. Look at what happened in Galatians chapter 2. He's recounting something that we find record of in Acts. He said, but before or far before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified in the faith of Jesus Christ, or of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What was the problem he was talking about? He said, Paul is writing, and Paul said, Peter would... Uh, who should have understood the covenants and the idea of the, the old law being done away with and now every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. You can eat pork. You can eat bacon. In fact, bacon wrapped with bacon is not a bad deal. Peter understood that better than anyone. But then some Jews came along and Peter stood over here with the Jews and acted like the Gentiles were not worthy. And Paul said, this is a problem. Not only that, you took other people with you. You created a problem that you took these people and you went over here to the Jews and acted like what the Jews were doing was okay and that you didn't associate with the Gentiles. And you're the guy who should have known. So what did he do? Galatians chapter 2, verse number 11. When Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he is to be blamed. There comes a time you've got to state the truth. There comes a time that, hey, I care about you enough for you to know the truth. We have a difference of interpretation biblically on what ought to be taking place here. I whisked him to the face. And you say, oh, well, they, they were not friends anymore. But look, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter writing now. He's looking back and he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother Paul, also according to wisdom given unto you, hath written unto you. What is he calling Paul? Our brother. Recognizing the authority of the writings of Paul. Ages later. They didn't sever all ties because they had a disagreement with something. Did, he, did Paul stand up and say, I withstood him to the face and I'm going to stand up and teach what's right? Yes, but at the end of the day, if you don't love your neighbor, what? You don't love God. You may have a difference of scriptural interpretation and, and spiritual beliefs about certain things, and you talk about those beliefs, analyze those beliefs, share scripture with those beliefs, but at the end of the day, the motivation ought to be love. I love you enough that I don't want you to believe something that's wrong. I love you enough, I care about what the scriptures teach. I love the word of God enough. I want you to understand how the word of God is, is taught. 
But then you get to a situation where maybe somebody's just a flat heretic. They're just teaching wrong. And they're teaching wrong on purpose. They're teaching wrong to draw people away. What do we do in that situation? Titus chapter 3 verse number 10 says, A man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Heaven forbid you get to this spot, but sometimes there are people who are trying to destroy the flock of God. It's an awful place to be. After the first and second admonition, though, the Bible says reject. But what's the reason for the rejection? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 5. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. You know, there may come a time somebody's a flat heretic and they need to be rejected, but I want to tell you the motivation of the rejection is to save the spirit. There may come a time that withdrawal from somebody has to take place because we love them enough to not let them destroy themselves. But the motivation is still love. It's an overarching principle. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And at the end of the day, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. This same individual in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, essentially he was sleeping with his stepmother. It was kind of the relationship. And they were glorying in it as a church. And Paul was saying, you can't do that. What you're talking about is wrong. You can't do that. You need to withdraw from this brother for doing that. And this brother repents and changes. And you get to 2 Corinthians now, I know some of you Bible students out here are going to say that's really 3 Corinthians because in 1 Corinthians, they mentioned a previous letter that had been written. That previous letter, we don't have record of, so we label them 1 and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, though, look at chapter 2, verse number 6. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of so many, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Look at what happened to this individual. He's sleeping with his father's wife. They were glorying in it as a church. Paul said, you, you need to separate yourself from that. They did, took the instruction from the apostle Paul, did exactly that, told them they loved him, cared for him, but he can't continue in that. And this individual repented and came back and they said, forgive him. Don't let him become overcome with too much sorrow. Don't let him grieve himself to death over the mistakes that he's made. Confirm your love to him. Because at the end of the day, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. <coughs> you know, this is kind of a principle in parenting, and there's some in this crowd that don't know Lisa and I, and just as a very quick, Lisa and I have been married for knocking on 40 years, and we've raised four girls. Those four girls have grown up, and they graduated college, and they're school teachers, although three of them are longer, no longer in the classroom. All four of them are moms. They've married, we've got four great sons-in-law. We've been very blessed to have four great sons-in-law. And our family has had struggles through the years. Do not get me don't misinterpret this. I'm not trying to stand up and go, hey, look at us or whatever. I'm just saying that when you go through struggles, do you love your kids? Yes. Everything you got, you love your kids. But when they're making wrong decisions and they're making decisions that are not appropriate, do you think we've ever had an intense moment of fellowship at our house with our kids? We have. Do you think our kids ever 
did some really S-T-U-P-I-D things? Yes, they did. If you want to visit with me later, I'll try not to divulge them all just publicly to everyone. I try not to confess other people's sins because I don't want my kids to do the same thing about me. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is we've made mistakes along the way. But you know, there's times I love my kids enough that as bad as this hurts you, we're still going to deal with it. Because a father that really loves his child will discipline his child. That's what this verse says. God loves us. He will discipline us. A church, elders, love someone that discipline may have to take place at some point in time to say, this is wrong. You cannot do this. I love you enough to not let you destroy yourself. I'm going to share one story with you from Lisa's and my experience. I walked in the bedroom one night and Lisa was in there with one of our daughters who happened to be a twin and somewhat aggressive because both the twins were aggressive, but you can guess which one. But she was upset with her mother, and she was upset with her mother, and she just couldn't, her mother had told her no. No, you cannot. I just do not understand how in the world you could tell me no. By what authority do you tell me no? Well, I can tell you, by what authority I'm your mother. No, the answer is no. I walk in the room, they're in the middle of a, let's say, exchange of ideas. And I walked in there, I was not happy. And I told my lovely daughter, who I love very much, there's not anybody on this earth who loves her any more than her mother. Not a person. And I'm not saying Lisa made every right judgment and every, but I can also tell you Lisa is not going to let her daughter do something that destroys her, that hurts her. And the answer is still no. I love you enough to hurt your feelings. I love you enough to say no. You cannot do this. And the answer is still no. And she was not happy a bit. But I'm telling you, a father that loves his child will chasten his child. That's what that verse means. You cannot allow things that are wrong to happen. You can't allow it in a church. At the end of the story, is this person that's a heretic loved? Yes. But if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. And I tell you the motivation behind it. Now there have been some times in our history where maybe withdrawal or whatever was done with wrong motivation in some cases. But I'm telling you the motivation ought to be we love that person. They're destroying themselves and we love them enough to say it. We love them enough to say it. 1 John chapter 4. If a man say I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from the beginning. He who loveth God loves his brother also. Y'all seen that passage, haven't you? Because if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. So it doesn't matter if it's just an area of disagreeing and judgment. It doesn't matter if it's an offense. It doesn't matter if it's a scriptural interpretation. It doesn't matter if it's a... This person's a heretic. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. At the end of the day, we ought to be loving each other and caring about each other. Even if individuals are doing wrong, we may speak it to their face and say, I love you, I care about you, but we can't do this. 
it will destroy you for you to make this decision. At the end of the day, those two commandments apply. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. May God bless you in your Christian walk this morning. If the church can help you in any way, we want to do that. Want to help you walk through this Christian journey and certainly want to do it together. Maybe you've been a member of the Lord's kingdom but have found yourself separated from the fold of God. Restoration. We love you. We care about you. We want you to be a part of the Lord's church. Maybe you're here and you've never started the journey. Today would be a great day to do that. Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you come in contact with the blood of Christ? Acts 22 and verse number 16, And now why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Today is an opportunity for you to start your walk with a group of people that love you. You'll be added to the Lord's church. We can hold each other accountable. We can help each other through this walk. We can care about one another, lift each other up, hug each other through times of sorrow and sadness, rejoice when we rejoice together, and we rejoice together as a group of people. You have an opportunity this morning to be a part of that. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected? <laughs>